0: In a message series where we're asking, Is there more? And we've already answered that unequivocally, yes, because that's how God answers it. And uh, our anchor text is from Ephesians 3, where Paul wrote these amazing words. And this is from the message translation. I love how uh, Eugene Peterson rendered this Ephesians 3 20 through 21. God can do anything you know far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us. His spirit deeply and gently within us. God can do more. He wants to do more beyond our wildest dreams. And this is the best part. He doesn't do it with a heavy-handed, try harder. What's your problem? Pushing us around. He does it by working within his his very own spirit, deeply, gently. Like, mysterious? Yes. True? Absolutely. (laughs) So there is more, for sure. Now, last week, Julie shared, there is more. There's more to the gospel or the good news, maybe, than you have known or experienced we like to look at it as a triune gospel, and it's reflected in our mission statement. Number one, encounter the love of the Father, which is lavish and unfailing, as she described last week. Secondly, we get to experience transformation, actually into a brand new creation as we trust Jesus Christ and his finished work. And thirdly, We get to extend the miraculous through the power of the Holy Spirit, which we'll look at next week. And so it's all good, all three aspects. But today, I want to focus on that second one, experience transformation. And in asking the question, is there more? Our answer is yes, there is more transformation. So Father, we thank you. You're all about more, and it's all about your spirit working in us deeply and gently. And we want to partner with that. We don't want to be left to ourselves. So fill us now, today. Open our hearts and minds. You know the need of every one of us. So come and teach us. Magnify our Lord Jesus, that we can leave here loving him more. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'll start just by defining the word transformation, which comes from the Greek word metamorphosis. And so if you ever a kid in science class, that's probably where you first learned the word metamorphosis as you watch the chrysalis, you know, be transformed into the butterfly, right? So it means to change form. Transform means to change form. And I love this illustration. Obviously, it's from nature. You know, God is the author of nature. And it's such a beautiful picture of how, what God does. He often takes something that's nondescript, like a chrysalis, or even ugly, like a caterpillar. <laughs> and what does he do? He transforms it into something beautiful. And that's actually what he wants for each of our lives. You know, take what might seem ugly to us or despairing to us, and he wants to transform it into something beautiful. So I like that. And he has amazing transformation in store for us. I want to take just a slight rabbit trail. This is about transformation, but this is for those of us who are like in our 40s and above, okay? You know, we're we're dealing with wrinkles, you know, saggy skin, you know, bones that break, joints that hurt. Okay, well, I've got some fantastic news for you because... Our bodies are going to be transformed. And this is a powerful text, and we hardly ever talk about it. As I know some churches, that's all they focus on. You know, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. You know, you're going to be like transformed, right? Well, it's true. Let me read for you what Paul wrote to the people at Corinth. This will be on the screen in Corinth. Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51. He said, let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in a blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when that trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever and all we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed (laughs) into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed (laughs) into immortal bodies. Wow. I think a real transformation is coming. You know, we actually believe this. I mean, isn't that audacious? We're gonna get a brand new body. I mean, I'm kind of hoping it's what mine looked like at age 25, you know, before I had five kids. But we don't actually know. We just know it's going to happen. Now, this truth was made really alive to me, no pun intended, this summer, when I was in Jerusalem, in Israel. And we visited, this is a, uh, a, a grave site right here outside the walls of Jerusalem. And those are tombs, you can see there. And this is at the foot of the Mount of Olives in Israel. And many people have paid thousands, I mean, some even millions of dollars to have their gravesite to be buried right there. You'd say like, why? What, what? Because the scriptures tell us that when Jesus does return, and he is returning, when he returns, he's gonna land on the Mount of Olives. And guess what? In, when that trumpet sounds, In the blink of an eye, those people are going to come out of those graves and they're going to be the first ones to see King Jesus as he sets up his kingdom here on earth. It was like very invigorating for me to even witness that because I don't often dial up to the truth that, you know what? We have transformation of our bodies coming forever. So now I want to tell you another wonderful secret. You don't have to wait till then to be transformed, no, Because I've arranged for all of us to get free Botox. (laughs) Sorry. Okay. No. (laughs) A different kind of transformation. (laughs) All right. Transformation is a very hot topic in our culture right now. I mean, people are transforming their bodies with surgery, their minds with psychedelic drugs, right? Their spirits, like engaging in Christian Buddhism, there's lots of stuff out there. And, you know, you can disparage that or be like, what's their problem? I don't. I'm like, it shows me people are desperate for transformation. They're desperate. And people, we actually have the answer. We know the transformer, the real transformer, okay, (laughs) who works in us gently and deeply. Now, these are sincere searches. People are hungry for transformation. They, they want to be changed. I was in an interesting conversation with a very sharp, uh, spiritually alert young adult. Uh, I guess that's Gen Z now. I'm not sure which generation that is. But he was sharing with me, he said, "Die, we want authenticity. And I am absolutely 100% in agreement with that. You know, the church is filled with, has been filled with hypocrisy. And when Happy and I met the Vineyard Movement in the 80s, one of the most refreshing things was the authenticity that there was no hype, there was no manipulation. You could be you, you could pour out your heart. You didn't have to put on a happy face. Now, they didn't leave you there. Why? Because God has something more transformation, but it starts with being authentic, being real. And people are on a search for the real me. You want to know your true identity. You want to know your true self. Like, who am I? Now, this is the dangerous aspect of that. It's that much of what is being promoted today is that you discover who you are authentically by tuning into your feelings. Now, I'm all about feelings, trust me. I live with somebody who says to me over and over for 51 years, I don't feel a thing. And so I'm the feeler in the relationship. Okay, he's actually great, and he does feel a lot. But anyway, um, feelings can be very deceptive. They change, they fluctuate. They fluctuate when I get a bad text. They fluctuate with the weather. Come on, son, it's a holiday. They fluctuate when I binge on M&M's. Feelings are not an accurate reflection of who I am. They are part, okay? And people are taking this to the extreme when you read about it. And this is a very extreme story. It's happening right here, not too far away in Illinois. A teacher has had to put a litter box in her classroom. Why? Because one of her students says, I am a cat. It's like, what? Yeah, I feel I am a cat. Therefore, I am. It's a true story. I don't disparage that. What that tells me, there's a desperation to know, to know the truth, the truth of who God has made us and who He is transforming us into. OK? I'm all for authenticity, but I am passionate about real transformation. You know why? I don't like the gap. I don't mean the store, although I don't like that either. But Well, it's not for 70-year-old people, right? <laughs> it's fine. I don't like the gap. You know, the gap between what scripture shows, what God has in store for me, to live a life of overflowing joy. But then why do I wake as I did this week, several mornings with a dark cloud of despair over my mind? Or when the scripture shows, love your enemies, forgive those who speak ill of you, then why do I want to hold a grudge? Or the scripture is like, heal the sick right, God. I've tried that for 50-some years, and it doesn't always work. There is a gap. But see, my experience doesn't trump the Word of God, okay? And so I'm like, okay, Lord, what's going on? I want to experience the transformation that you have. So in this message, transformation is a huge topic, okay? (laughs) Huge topic, Um, I wrote a book on it called Wrecked for God, The Surprising Secret to True Transformation. We actually are selling it. I don't usually promote it, but this is what I want you to know I discovered. I cannot transform myself. But someone who loves me and knows me and has a much better life plan for me does the hard work. Okay, but we have to learn how to cooperate with that, right? Well, today, I just want to know, what what is God's view of transformation? So, two questions. The what's. The what of, like, what am I transformed into? Hint, not a cat. Christ. Okay. Oh, and, unto what purpose? You know, for, for what? But secondly, how? How do I experience transformation? Now, we only have 30 minutes, so you know, we're going to not be able to adequately answer all of that. But I'm going to start by looking at God's word because God's word is very clear. There's a lot of scriptures actually on transformation. We're just going to look at a couple today. Again, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the Romans and this is in Romans 8. And here he's going to describe, you know, what are we transformed into? Well, it's stunning. It's stunning. Romans 8, 29, for those he, that's God, foreknew, he also predestined, he decided it, to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Wow, that's what we're transformed, conformed into, the image of Jesus Christ, (laughs) you know, maybe you've heard the statement, you know, be careful how you act. You might be the only Bible people read. No, no, it's much more severe than that. Be careful how you act. You might be the only Jesus people see. Oh, don't shout me down because I know like people start getting nervous. We are partakers of the divine nature. We have to honor the glorious work of the cross and the resurrection to the degree that we actually believe who he has made us and who he's transforming us into the image of his very own son for his purposes, by the way. Now, I know people can create the image of Jesus in their own minds. There's a lot of confusion about who Jesus is, okay? Is he just that tolerant teacher? He loves everybody. He doesn't mind the way you live. You know, he's a tolerant teacher. Okay? Or, you know, some people say Jesus is just one of many ways to nirvana or the hereafter, whatever your eternal destination is. Other people, oh, no, we know him as Lord of all. Well, who is he? So... I was meditating on this in preparation. I just thought, you know what? I think there's actual like confusion or maybe ignorance. When we say the image of God, what do we mean? And that's a really important term. It really is, and it's, as uh, you'll see here in a moment, I'm gonna show you a little video. Um, I love Bible Project, and for those of you who don't access their teaching, I want to highly recommend it. I call it Theology for Dummies, and I include myself in that, because it's so good. It's so like clear, and they have awesome graphics. So we're going to watch a video called The Image of God in trying to discover and discern what is this image that we're conformed to? What, what, is, what is this all about? So we're going to go all the way back to the beginning. It will be five minutes. Can you handle five minutes of looking? Okay, good. Stay awake. Let's go.
1: So if you lived in ancient Bible times,
2: odds are you lived under the authority of a king. And many of these kings claimed that they were gods. And they would even call themselves the image of God. Meaning they had authority to tell people what to do, order things to be made. Yeah, they got to define good and evil. And these kings would often make statues of themselves, which in Hebrew were called selim, often translated as idol or image.
1: But for Israel... They didn't view their kings as the God. In fact, they were never supposed to even
2: make images of God. That's exactly right. And that was really unique for that time and culture. This is rooted, first of all, in Israel's belief that you can't reduce the creator God down to any one thing in creation. But there's another reason. People aren't to make images of God because God has already made images of himself.
1: When did he do that?
2: Let's go to page one of the Bible, and the first person we meet there is God. He's the one with authority over all creation. He speaks and creation obeys, and he defines what is good and not good. In other words, he alone is king. But then surprisingly, as the pinnacle of all of God's creative work, he makes humans, and he calls all of them the image of God
1: so he gives all humans the authority to rule?
2: Exactly, that's what he goes on to say. He tells the humans to subdue the earth and to rule it. And so this task that once belonged only to elite kings is here in the Bible the task of every human being. This was a revolutionary statement in its day because all humans are being called to rule and to participate in the human project. So what does this mean? I mean, how are we all supposed to rule? So the picture we get in Genesis is gardening. Gardening? Yes. Gardening. So they rule the earth by cultivating it, by harnessing all of the earth's raw potential and then making something more and new out of it. So growing food for each other. Yes, but that also includes growing families then, which become neighborhoods. And then they create communities where people are going to work and take care of each other and build businesses and cities that will expand to new places and so on. So
1: ruling is really
2: the day-to-day acts of our work and creativity. Yes, we take the world somewhere. This is humanity's divine and sacred task. Yeah, and this all sounds really
1: nice. And humans have designed some pretty great things. But just as often we create things that cause a lot of suffering, and a lot of injustice. So maybe we shouldn't actually be ruling.
2: Yeah, so the Bible addresses this. In Genesis, what happens is that God gives humans a choice about how they're going to rule. So are they gonna use their authority for the benefit of others, which is God's definition of good, or are they going to turn away and define good and evil for themselves and use their authority for self advantage?
1: And in the story, they choose to define good and evil on their own terms.
2: And so this is the Bible's depiction of the human condition. So sometimes we pull off amazingly good stuff, but just as often, despite our best intentions, we act selfishly and we create evil in the world.
1: And so we're stuck as mediocre rulers making a mess of things.
2: But that's not the end of the story. So the Bible goes on and it makes this claim that all of this was resolved when God bound himself to humanity through Jesus. And he showed us what it looks like to truly rule as a human. So what does it look like? Well, Jesus ruled by serving and by seeking the best for others, by putting himself underneath them and loving not just his friends, but also his enemies.
1: And that's not a typical way to rule.
2: And not only that, Jesus confronted the consequences of all of the evil and the death that we have created by our messed up ways of ruling. And he takes it. I mean, he lets it kill him. And so, when the New Testament writers looked back to Jesus' resurrection, they see a whole new future opening up for all humanity.
1: Jesus is a new way to
2: be human. Yeah, that's why they called Jesus the image of God, or the new human. And not only that, they also believe that Jesus' divine life and power is now available to heal and to transform us to become our life and power.
1: And this sounds
2: really nice, but what does it really look like? So... Practically, the Apostle Paul said it looks like people being filled by Jesus' own presence and spirit, filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and integrity and gentleness and self-control. He says, this is the new humanity that God wants to create in us so that we become people in whom God's image is being restored, people who will move the human project forward. And that's actually how the story of the Bible ends. It's a renewed world where God is on his throne and his servants are all around him, but they're the ones ruling over this new world, taking it into new uncharted territory with Jesus as their healer and their God.
0: Yeah, I was totally jazzed by that video. (laughs) And uh, you almost have to watch it like two, three, four times because we won't have time to take it all apart. But what just invigorated me again, don't we have an awesome God? I mean, he made us in his image. And and I love how that's defined. That's not some like random, you know, uh, distorted view. No, it's like we're made in his image. We're made to rule. And we're made to rule in the way that he sees what is good and what is righteous and what is healthy. He goes, I'm going to trust you You know, you get to go and image me, be my image bearers, reflect in your families, in your businesses, in your cities. You know, wherever you are, you get to image me. Wow. Of course, we blew it. And, uh, you know, instead of choosing God's definition of good and doing it his way, you know, human beings chose to define good and evil on their own terms and made a complete mess of stuff. And you know the story. But what a shocking plan that God himself takes on flesh. He comes to earth as a human being, and he begins to show us afresh. This is the image of God, because you may, your image is obviously distorted. And there was a lot of distortion as to what that image was. And it continues to this day. People's views, you know, he's heavy-handed, he's controlling, he's manipulative, he's He's boring, you know, he's a spoil sport. No, Jesus said, "If you've seen me, you've seen the Father." He was the image of the invisible God, and he showed us what ruling, you know, executing that image looked like. It was laying down his life, you know, both literally and, you know, in his entire ministry, loving, healing, delivering, serving, caring. Astounding but he knew the problem wasn't solved. No, that problem of Satan and sin and selfishness and sickness, he was going to have to take it on himself and literally defeat it at the cross. Rise again with that brand new resurrected body, firstborn from the dead, and now say, Guess what? That image is restored and you can become part of that. You can actually have my divine life. You believe in what I did? You can have my divine life to fill you, flow through you. So now, wherever you go, you're conformed to the image of Jesus and people get to see what he's like, how he rules, how he lives. Whether it's in school, your business, your family, no matter what field you're in, medicine, art, education, social work, farming, Wow, we get to be part of this incredible, incredible sacred task as God's image bearers. It's fabulous. Okay, all to make the world a better place. Now, great, wonderful plan. I got it, Di. We're all supposed to be conformed to his image. Do you know religion has really done a bad number on this? Because they say, imitate Jesus. Have you ever tried to imitate Jesus? It doesn't work, I'm sorry. No, it doesn't. Jesus told us, apart from me, you can actually do nothing. Oh no, he had a far greater plan. A plan that starts with transformation from the inside out so that we truly can reflect his image. Let's go back to that text in Romans where Paul said, for those he, God, foreknew. Did you know he knows you? He's known you before you were in your mother's womb. He's known you. He also predestined. He decided your destiny. It's a glorious destiny to be conformed to the image of his son. (laughs) So we would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. It's a glorious plan. He decided it. And now he fulfills it. Verse 30 those whom he predestined, he also called. He's going to individually, he calls you by name. He calls you, he knows you. But those he called, he also justified. What, that broken image has to be repaired. You know, we all, no matter what kind of life we've lived, <laughs> all people, whether you're claiming to be a cat or claiming to be Christ, yeah, no matter what, you bear the image Of God. You do. And for many of us, that image has been broken and and marred and so distorted through sin and selfishness. And yet, He justified us. He made us right. He gave us His image of righteousness, a brand new identity. That transformation takes place as we answer His call. And those He justified, this is the best part, He also glorified. Folks, that's past tense. It doesn't say we'll be glorified. He has come with his glory to live inside of you. His splendor of his spirit lives inside of you. Like we should be the brightest bulb on the block, right? Just shining with his glory. Okay. Let me tell you a story. 51 years ago, this month, I was a newly married woman, wild, free student at the University of Illinois, like many of you. And my husband, Happy, and I, you know, we were baby boomers, rebel to the core. And we had made up our mind. We'd actually made a pact. We will never become Christians. We wanted nothing to do with the church, nothing to do with religion, nothing to do with God, Boring, stifling, spoil sport, oppressive. We're free. We get to define what we want and who we are, what we consider good or evil, if it even existed, right? Okay, so, you know, we're on our way. We're one month, not even a month into our marriage. We had no use for God. Little did I know, even though I was raised. In a very religious home, that I had a loving Heavenly Father who, as Jeremiah tells me, knew me before I was even in my mother's womb. He foreknew me. He'd already arranged a destiny for me, and it's a good one. He had an amazing life. What was that destiny? To be an image bearer of Him, to make the world a better place to join him in the divine task of seeing his kingdom, his rule spread. So on a beautiful fall day, not quite like today, I sat in our humble apartment at 405 North Matthews where the Beckman Institute now stands. And I just was waiting for Happy to come home from class. And I was reading a book it was about a woman named Alice, and she went to teach underprivileged children in the Appalachian Mountains. And I'm very passionate about teaching and particularly teaching the underprivileged, so this story was just gripping me. And I discovered as I read the story that she's actually a Quaker woman. And I didn't really know much about that, but I'm reading, I'm reading, and I'm like, wow, she she knows Jesus. And Jesus loves her. He, 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 Jesus loves a woman. And I don't mean, you know, like emotionally. Jesus loves her. He gave her honor and dignity and respect. He loved her. I've, I've never heard of such a Jesus. And I suddenly begin to weep. I mean, I'm just reading a stupid paperback. I begin to weep and weep and weep. And these are the words that came out of my mouth. Although no one was there in the room with me, I said, I want to know Jesus like Alice knows Jesus. I want to know a Jesus who loves women, gifts women, calls women. I began to weep. What was it? (laughs) Well, I didn't know it. (laughs) It was the Holy Spirit (laughs) moving gently. Deeply. I didn't know. He was calling me and he's calling some of you right now. He's calling you. He's calling you. Well, it's been a very long journey. (laughs) Learning to live in the transformation that was imparted to me that day because when I said yes to Jesus and the movement of the Holy Spirit, he moved right on inside of me so that the Father's will, the Father's destiny for me could be accomplished, conforming me to the image of Jesus Christ. That day, on the spot, I was transformed, as the scripture says, into a new creation. The old, sinful, selfish, rebellious baby boomer died. I'm here to tell you there was no instantaneous transformation in my life but there was a big transformation but i just tell you that so you don't get frustrated you know when you're not just like miraculously transformed because you read the bible for an hour no it it takes a lifetime but it's a wonderful lifetime and it's totally worth it because the destiny he has the assignment to make the world a better place by reflecting his image excels anything that we could design or desire. So I was transformed. I was justified. That old, ugly, marred image, sinful, all of it, that he took to the cross and he gave me his image of righteousness, holiness, goodness. You know, does that mean we all look alike? We're some sort of Christian clone? Absolutely not. This is the glory. He knows your personality. He knows the gifting that he has for you. He knows the calling on your life. So we're all going to look different in that sense, but we're all what? Reflecting the image of Jesus Christ wherever we go in his name, sharing his love and his power and his truth and his goodness. And you know, and that transformation continues to this day in my life. I had a whole section here to tell you some of the details on that. Sorry, I'm already two minutes over. So this is what I'll say in conclusion. What I learned over 50 years, I tried to actually capture in my book, uh, Wrecked for God, The Surprising Secret to True Transformation. And that secret is, we do not imitate Jesus Christ. We do not try harder and harder by self-effort to transform ourselves. We know Apart from him, we can do nothing, but this is what we do learn. We learn to live in union with him. You see, he comes inside. He joins with us. Do I understand it? No. Have I experienced it? Yes. Yes. And every day, it's a fresh commitment to that union. Every day, it's a fresh awareness of his presence. Every day, it's looking again at his truth, and trusting his empowerment. It's not a linear journey, as I said. And I'll tell you this, it can only be lived in the company of other people. If you think you can do this on your own, I'm here to tell you that's an impossibility and it's not God's way. And that's why we say, join a small group, go to the School of Kingdom Ministry, take the marriage class, whatever it is, get in the company of others who, like you, are conformed to the image of Jesus Christ and learning how to live that out in your sphere of influence. Be careful how you live and how you act. You might be the only Jesus people ever meet. So Father, I thank you. It's way beyond us. So thank you for your help. Thank you for your transformation. Thank you for your love for us. And you don't get tired of our having to be taught over and over. Thank you. You called us. Thank you. You justified us. Thank you. You glorified us with your spirit. We worship you now in Jesus' name. Amen.